You don't put those inside of you, do you? This is a show about women. I mean, you do? Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly veiled aspirational nightmare. It's not hosted, not narrated. We're just dropping into a woman's world. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. Looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. <laughs> Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm John O'Brien, host of Money and Wealth on the Black Effect Podcast Network. I'm an entrepreneur and a businessman. Now, every Thursday, my newest venture is educating you on how to win financially. Even better, I'm going to teach it in a way that, well, you can understand. I'm going to meet you where you are and take you where you need to be. We all might have different starting points and end goals, but as long as we have the desire to acquire financial freedom, it can be done. Listen to Money and Wealth with John Hope Bryant every Thursday on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, what's up? This your boy, Jerry Clark, and I am the host of Storytime with Legendary Jerry Podcast. For the last 30 years, I have worked with some of your favorite artists, like Outkast, Killer Mike, Jeezy, Akon, Jermaine Dupree, and so many, many more. Storytime with Legendary Jerry is an ode to the South. Southern rap has had the game on lock for years, and now I'm telling you legendary stories of how we did it. Listen to Storytime with Legendary Jerry on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome. You are now listening to The Professional Girls, it's the kid Ebony from the PhD podcast, the only place where you would hear interviews from Black women anonymously on stories that would enlighten and expand on taboo topics. Now, if you hear someone that sounds familiar, mind the business that pays you, child. If you like the PhD podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Please, five star reviews only. Hold me down, don't hold me up. Merch is now available on the site as well as my book list, so please make sure you visit the link in the show notes below. You can connect with the kid on Instagram at the Professional Homegirl and at the PhD Podcast. If you are on Twitter, please follow me at the PhD Podcast. Now, if you are all caught up with episodes, listen to the bonus episodes by supporting the PhD Podcast Patreon account. To support, please visit www.patreon.com forward slash the PhD Podcast. Now, please keep in mind that all of my guests are anonymous, so let's begin this week's episode. So I am super excited to have my guest on the show today as she shares details on working at an abortion clinic. So to my guest, how are you doing? I'm good. Thanks so much for having me here. Yes, I'm like super excited because abortion has been the talk of the town. Everybody has been talking yeah. about it. It looks like the world hates women. <laughs> so I'm super excited to get your insight on everything. So before we begin, you're, you currently live in Buffalo, right? 
Yeah, so I'm currently in Buffalo, New York. Um, that's also where the clinic that I worked at um, is located. So with everything that's been happening, with the hate crime in the news, it's just been a lot to process. Um, it's been really, it's been really hard as a black person in Buffalo because if you know anything about the city, it is a very segregated city still. It's very much like mm-hmm. black folks on the east side, um, white folks in North Buffalo. You have like a big sort of like Hispanic Latin population on the west side. Mm-hmm. Um, so the fact that like this crime happened not just in Buffalo, but like spe- specifically like on the east side at one of the only supermarkets on the east side it's like everyone's affected like even myself and my family like we've gone shopping at that supermarket before like we know people who shop there you know I have friends who when we like when I got my first ever summer job like we would go there to cash our summer job check so this is like a place that held like a lot of importance yeah it holds a lot of importance in the community so it's like not only do we have to you know, mourn the people that lost their lives. Now this community also lost their grocery store and it's really hard, but there's a lot of good work being done, which is nice. Are they going to like rebuild the grocery store or reopen? Yeah, so they are, what I heard is that they do have plans to reopen. I don't know when, because, you know, like the investigation is still happening. Like the FBI is there. So, which we don't hear anything about. Exactly, yeah. (laughs) yeah because <laughs> i haven't heard anything about buffalo unless i'm looking it up to just to do research and they just see what's going on exactly like the fact that it's like already like out of the news cycle already is so crazy because it's like to the rest of the country like it's done but to everybody else here it's like no it's just getting started like we still have the fbi here we still have the police still investigating right like they they arrested the guy they have him in custody but all of this work is still going on. Apparently, they do have plans to reopen the supermarket. Um, but again, not sure when. Um, and, you know, one of the person that lost their lives was someone who worked there. Right? He was the security guard at the supermarket. So that in itself is like, do we reopen this place? Do we yeah. like shut it down and open somewhere else? So I, don't I mean, know. I don't feel comfortable shopping in there because I just to to know what happened there is like right? yeah I'd be not I'd be scared same and I feel like at the same time what happened in Buffalo is like tragic and clearly you know because of racism because of this kid who thought you know he was a white supremacist but at the same time this like mass shooting thing is such an American problem that I feel like if it didn't happen here it could have happened anywhere else and I think that's another part that just feels so scary right like you never know and it's not like you know we hear about these shootings in the news all the time but the fact that it happened here in my community it's just like an extra level of like what the hell right and like you said before we started to record we don't really hear about buffalo unless it's referring to griselda yep <laughs> so it's just like, it's like griselda the snow or the bill so the the fact sure. that, yeah <laughs> so like to see that like my city in the news all the time it's been it's also been shocking seeing so many people who are not from buffalo talk about buffalo yeah because on some parts i'm just sort of like I'm glad that people are talking about it, spreading awareness and like donating to all these organizations here that are doing good work. But at the same time, it's like, this city has needed help and funding and money from the state for a very long time. And 
hopefully this like brings attention to it and hopefully we don't get left behind again but I'm afraid that what's gonna happen is like it's not in the news cycle anymore people are just gonna forget and it's just another cycle right because it's not like a Brooklyn or a Manhattan or something Mm -hmm. so unfortunate well my condolences to those that lost their lives I remember um I was doing my research on it and it was an older lady that she uh wrote an article about gun violence and she lost her life and I was like oh my god so sad yeah she um like if I can remember her name I think it's it's Kat well I'm gonna pull it up Catherine Massey um she wrote for a couple Buffalo um, newspapers, the Buffalo um, Challenger and the Buffalo Criterion. She was very much a, like anti-gun, pro you know, gun sad. control. And so it's just like wild that she lost her life in a shooting. Like, Right. Oh, God bless Buffalo for real. Yeah. Well, so my first question for you is, have you ever had an abortion? I have not um I've actually never been pregnant oh is it an option for me um I would say yes and I think sort of where where I'm at right now if I found out I was pregnant tomorrow I probably would have an abortion um you know I'm just I'm not in a place right now where like having a child is an option for me really um but I think I I do think that like it is an option and you know circumstances may change um but for someone who yeah I've never been pregnant before so I've never had a baby or had an abortion so um it's been interesting working in that space not ever (laughs) having been pregnant or had a kid or anything like that well I never shared this story on the platform but I had an abortion I believe almost 10 years ago so I would have had a 10 year old which is a 10 year old Girl. Can you, imagine, girl you just told me you were moving can you imagine having a pack of the kids I like a 10 year old room and god bless the parents during this pandemic because my god yeah right girl but i just want to hear my in general just bless, yeah bless anybody that's dealing with a kid because i can't bless the kids i heard because i can only imagine how stressed out they is because they don't know what the hell a pandemic is <laughs> but i want to share this story because i feel like I don't know for me to obviously it was a mistake and I definitely wasn't ready to be somebody mother at 25 and when I think about the whole process like I was just so scared and I remember going mm. to Planned Parenthood and at first I was out to eat with a group of friends at like some Mexican restaurant in the city whatever and I'm trying to take a shot and I couldn't take it and I was like oh my god is this alcohol like old like is it expired like me being a blonde and then uh, I remember, because I get really bad uh, uh, motion sickness. So mm-hmm. but I never get it when I'm driving. So I was driving in a car, whatever, driving my car at the time. And I was eating the apple and I threw it up. So I was like, I know I'm not pregnant. <laughs> so I ended up um, taking a pregnancy test and I was definitely pregnant. Um, and I went to Planned Parenthood and I went with my friend at the time. And oh my God, she was so fucking embarrassing. Because we went to one in downtown Brooklyn and she knew everybody they daddy. So they was like, oh, you here? I'm gonna tell your daddy. And she was like, no, I'm here with my home girl. She don't know what she wanna do, blase, blase. And I was like, bitch, I don't need you telling people what's going on with me. You're like, shut up. Yeah. <laughs> your business. Right, like girl. 
And I remember the day of my procedure, like I just wanted to get it over with because I, I get really like anxious and nervous and my anxiety start kicking in, which I'm pretty sure a lot of people can relate to when I don't have control over the situation. Mm-hmm. And I just remember, because I wanted to be sedated. Like I didn't want to feel nothing. I don't want to see nothing. And I just remember this one song and I know this song and I can't remember the song for the life of me. And I remember waking up after the, waking up after the procedure and I was running out to that bathroom because I had to throw up. And I'm seeing girls like crying and yelling. I'm seeing sticks in somebody's vagina. And I was like, oh no, I got to go home. <laughs> I tell you, I learned my lesson and I got on birth control so quick because I, I wouldn't, I just did not want to ever go through that again. Mm-hmm. So when you heard that it was a possibility that Roe versus Wade was being overturned, what were your thoughts? Honestly, I had multiple thoughts. One was sort of that we we saw this coming. And by we, I mean people um, sort of working in the reproductive health area, working at abortion clinics, or working for abortion funds, right? Like the writing on the wall that Roe was, may be overturned has been sort of coming to the forefront for a while, especially when you notice like, oh, all of these, you know, conservative judges have been like put on the Supreme Court. Oh, all of these states such as Texas are putting out all of these like super strict abortion bans, right? Like we can see where this is going. Um, so on one hand, I sort of was like, wow, they're going to do it. Like, I thought this was this, like worst case scenario, but I did think it was going to happen. And now it's sort of like, damn, like, is this going to happen? Um, and my thoughts too, is being someone in New York state that, you know, a place like New York state is not going to ban abortion, even if Roe gets overturned, right? Like we live in a very liberal state. We live in a state where abortion rights are, you know, written into the law of the state. But what's going to happen is that people living in states such as Texas, people living in the South, people in Ohio, when abortion gets banned federally, if Roe gets overturned, they're going to be the ones that suffer. And they're going to be the ones having to travel to places like New York, California, to get their services. And then what's that's going to happen to people who are already in the state, right? So if you were in that situation 10 years ago where you needed that abortion, but now you have more people coming from outside of New York State to New York City to get abortions, right? Now there's a wait list. Now you can't get that appointment that quickly, right? It's going to be a shit show. <laughs> and basically, it's that we need to change the way that we think about abortion, right? Because I think right now we think of abortions happening at a separate place, right? We think of a abortion clinic. When in reality, you should be able to go to your gynecologist. You shouldn't have to make an appointment with a separate doctor to get this one procedure done when you see a doctor already who deals with your you know, reproductive health. You should be able to go there. And so I think hopefully more you know, doctors, more medical students are seeing this change happening and wanting to learn about you know, to become abortion providers because I think that's what we really need. Um, as well as you know, changing laws to help other healthcare providers such as, you know, midwives and nurse midwives be able to do the procedure as well because they have the skills and the knowledge to do that, but they just don't have the licensing opportunity in some of these states to do that. Oh, that would definitely change the game is if uh, midwives can do it. Oh my God. Right? Oh, change the game. Change the game. Call your midwife, have one at home, like in the privacy of your own home. Yeah. And you're done. Like, change the game. <laughs> Because I interviewed a midwife before and she was telling me about how 
the program or the educational and the skills to be able to become a midwife is like very intense. So yeah, yeah. So I, I, that would be that would be a, a game changer for sure. Or even the idea that you can just go to your own gynecologist, right? Like you see a gynecologist at least once a year, you get your birth control from them already. You know, if you're someone who has children already, like they know they might have delivered your babies, right? So they know you, so you can just call that, call up your gyno, go to your, you know, doctor's office. You don't have to wait in a waiting room with a bunch of other people. You can just get this done and leave. Or, tell your business. <laughs> exactly. Or get the abortion pill and, you know, from your doctor and and do the do it at home with the pill. Like there are many different options. And I think, you know, what we need is at this point, really like politicians to like get it together and like think about these options. Because I think that there's a lot of like medical providers. There's a lot of, you know, people who do like activism work for thinking about this stuff, but the people who can make these changes are the politicians in Albany and or in Washington. And they're just not, they're just not doing that stuff yet. Yeah. So if I'm not mistaken, if Roe versus Wade was to be overturned, that means that at least 26 states are more than likely, likely to ban abortion, right? Yeah. That is insane. Overnight. Oh my God. Could you imagine? I can't imagine. Like the idea that like, it's just not an option anymore, I think is going to, it's going to have such an effect on people's health in general. And when I say health, I mean like their physical health, I mean mental health, right? Like if you're in a situation, you don't think that you can have a child and all of a sudden that's like you have, you're being forced to have a child, right? Like if you don't have any money to take care of this kid, if you're in a bad situation, or even if you're not, right? Even if you know, everything in your life is good and you could technically have this kid, but you don't want to, and now you're being forced to, especially in these states where they aren't even taking care of pregnant women in general, right? Like there's so, a lot of these states where abortion will be banned, such as Mississippi, have some of the worst maternal morality rates in the country. So like, you can't even take care of us when we want to have a child and now you don't want to let us not have a child, right? Like what's going to happen? And it's not even talking about the people that um that's a part of the marginalized communities that can't afford healthcare. Exactly, exactly. Or or to afford to travel to get healthcare, because that's what's really gonna happen, right? If you're in a state where this gets banned and, and you think like, you know what, I don't care, I'm gonna try and get an abortion, that means you're gonna have to take off of work. You're gonna have to use a sick day, you're gonna have to travel drive get a bus ticket get a plane ticket and you know so many jobs don't even have sick time that we learned over the pandemic so how's this going to even work for people and then i was just also thinking about imagine how imagine how the um the black market of abortions will be coming back or they probably still here for all we know yeah yeah i think I think something that will be different though than you know pre Roe v Wade, right? Like I think that people have this idea of you know the coat hanger, like back alley abortions, right? But I think the difference is that we're not in the 1960s anymore. There's a lot of ways to have a at home abortion that is not as dangerous as those ways, and then one of those ways is by abortion pills. Um, so those are pills that you take. Um, one is to stop the growth of the pregnancy. The other is to expel the pregnancy from your uterus. Those are done safely at home. They're FDA approved, right? And I think 
what will happen is that people start getting these sold on the black market or, you know, in the know or someone in a state that can get them will be mailing them to their friend or their cousin who lives in another state, right? So I think that's going to happen. And on one hand, I'm really great that we do have this medicine, this technology, so we want to see those ideas of people, you know, bleeding out or getting infections and things like that. But the downside is that, like, we have these states where those people may be prosecuted for this, right? So even though it is safer now to have an abortion, you know, by yourself, or we call it self-managed abortion, it's still dangerous in terms of legality, right? Like, and what does that mean for you to go to jail for performing your own abortion or, you know, someone saying that like, maybe it was an abortion, maybe you miscarried, but someone who doesn't like you want to, wants to say that it is an abortion and now all of a sudden you're caught up in a court case, right? Like, what does that mean to like let legalize your body and these natural, you know, processes, right? Child, it's giving Handmaid's Tale. <laughs> <laughs> right? Oh it's my just scary. God. It's just so scary, right? It's so scary. Like I and the last, I just feel like the last thing we need, right? Especially in this country, is to send any more people into jail, send any more people into prison, right? So the idea that you can go to prison for having a miscarriage or you can go to prison for having an abortion is just outrageous to me. Oh my God! I'm telling you, man, the world hate hate women. <laughs> it's so ghetto because I just never would have thought that we would be having this conversation now right in 2022 2022 22. so scary so before you began working at the clinic what were your thoughts on about abortion I think before I started working at the clinic I was pro-choice right like I remember you know, fundraising for Planned Parenthood. Um, I was definitely someone that was like, I'm pro-choice, blah, blah, blah. But I do think I still had like negative associations around abortion, which I think um, a lot of people do. I think even people who say they're pro-choice, they're like, I'm pro-choice, but. And then after that, but it's like, I'm pro-choice, but it's only okay if it's a mistake, right? It's only okay if you get one abortion or it's I'm pro-choice, but, um, you know, only if it's like, you know, someone is a teenager or if it's only like a young person. And, you know, I think I had these like negative ideas about people who had multiple abortions or even people who, you know, had later abortions, like people who you know, for whatever reason, have abortions, you know, after the first trimester, I think that I just had, um, like, judgments around that, Mm -hmm. and I think that comes from abortion stigma, from people not talking about the procedure itself, Um, and then I think, too, I just sort of was uninformed, and I just, like, didn't really understand, not just about abortion, but, like, pregnancy and my own body in general, like, I didn't understand that, like, you know, if you're pregnant for the first time and you've never been pregnant before, you might not even notice pregnancy symptoms because they're so similar to other things, right? Listen, right? when I tell you, like, well, you, we haven't like physically met, but like, I look like how I look now when I was pregnant and I was pregnant and I didn't know because I was in school getting my MBA I was a caretaker for my grandmother at the time who had Alzheimer's and I was working a full-time job. So when I tell you, I didn't know what was going on because I thought I was just yeah. shut the fuck out. You just thought you were stressed, right? Because right. 
right? Like you're probably tired and you're like, oh, I'm tired because I'm doing three, all these work, right? And you're probably like, oh, I'm nauseous, but maybe that was the bad food I ate, right? Or right. you said car sickness, right? So like all of these things can happen in your life and then all of a sudden, you know, you, know. you might be in your, you might just don't know, right? And there's that show, I didn't even know I was pregnant. And I know some of those things seem, seem outrageous, but like it is true, right? Like even with pregnancy, some people get sick and they think they have the flu, right? Yeah. And if you aren't like, especially people who are on birth control, you don't even think that you're pregnant because you're like, I take my pull every day. Right. Or people who have, you know, irregular periods, they might not notice that I have missed my period because I always miss my period. Right? Right. Like my, well, period my period just irregular, exactly. 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 <laughs> Wait, on that show, I didn't know I was pregnant. Did you see that black woman who thought she had to take a shit and she ended up giving birth to her baby in the toilet? <laughs> Oh my God, no, but that's wild. I said, that's off my TV. I'm sorry, I can't imagine being in that situation. Like, you went to the bathroom to go to the bathroom, and then all of a sudden you got a baby. Yeah. You got to take care of this baby. I was like, if you don't get this baby out the commode. I was like, this is where I'm like, can I give this baby to somebody? Like, this isn't. Yeah, so, so she was constipating. No, girl, that was contractions. Yeah, wild. So do you think that some people use abortions as birth control? So the answer I would say is yes. I do think there are some people who do that. And I do too. And I think previous to working at a clinic, I had I was very judgmental about that fact. I was just sort of like, why would you do this? This should be only used one time, blah, blah, blah. Um, but more I think about it, it's sort of that like, if you right? Like the birth control we have now is to prevent you from being pregnant. Abortion is after the pregnancy to prevent you from becoming a parent. Um, all of the birth control methods that we have are, none of them are hundred percent effective other than abstinence. And there are not that many people who are grown up who are 100% abstinent for the rest of their lives or 100% abstinent until the moment they decide they want to have a child. So while I think that people who use abortion as birth control definitely rare just because the fact that abortion is expensive abortion isn't always covered by your insurance right so for someone to use that consistently consistently as birth control people aren't doing that right um but I do think the idea of abortion as birth control shouldn't be as stigmatized as it is because abortion is 100 percent prevents you from becoming a parent. No birth control options that we have, including IUDs, including the pill, including condoms, will 100% prevent you from becoming pregnant. Um, so I think also people in those situations are usually more marginalized folks who don't have access to birth control either on the regular, whether that's because they don't have health insurance or they're undocumented and they don't feel comfortable going to the doctor, right? They don't know you know, they might not have IDs or proper things like that, whether they're sex workers or they're young as hell. Or they're young as hell. Yeah. And oftentimes, sometimes it's people who, um, in my experience of working at the clinic, oftentimes the people who would see for like repeat abortions or people we thought maybe using abortion as birth control, oftentimes were not necessarily the young folks, but the folks who were homeless or folks who were, you know, addicted to substances, right? People who not, who don't have 
the options either, you know, because of their mental health, right? They don't really have the capacity to like make doctor's appointments or keep or doctor's appointments or the resources or like the idea or like remembering to take like a medication all the time. They might not have a safe place to even store their meds, right? So those are the types of people that we saw often and those people deserve the same type of care as the rest of us. Um, so okay. that is definitely something that opened my eyes, yeah. How many times can a person get an abortion? Like, does a clinic like cut you off at a certain time or like? No. So the clinic wouldn't ever like cut. Well, not cut, cut you, you off. off. I'm, yeah, I, or like it's just not right. <laughs> yeah. So I think. Um. So there's like two answers to that. Like, how many times can you get an abortion? Uh. Honestly, like within like one year, like your body. Right. You can only probably get like. I've seen people who've had more than one abortion in a year. Because um, it, it happens, because you can get pregnant more than one time in a year. Um, often people don't. Um, but what happens sometimes is that if we do notice someone who has been here quite often or has had a number of procedures, we may do sort of like longer in-depth counseling on sort of trying to sort of figure out, like we had never deny someone care but sometimes like those things are indications of other things happening in your life right but so what's we may, going on what's going on right like so we might be like are you um you know are you able to take birth control are you not like is this something that like your body doesn't allow or is someone you know outside you know tampering with your birth control because that is a thing right like some people's partners don't allow them to take birth control or very um, coercive or you know are poking holes in condoms right um are you in a situation where you need or you know why you having sex exactly are you in a situation where you need um you know health care are you someone who like you need health insurance to help you get birth control do you need you know and so those types of things um definitely at our clinic the, the counselors that we have on staff would look at um to try and just referrals and just sort of see what's going on in that person's life yeah you know I was about to ask you um do you think that birth control and condoms are just not effective enough for some people I think yes well let me just repeat this I think that I think a lot of I think birth control is effective when it's taken the right way I don't think that people <laughs> take birth control the right way, right? The idea, especially with the pill, it's not that you have to take it every day. You have to take it every day at the same, at the same time. time. There you go. The same time. And it's like, you think about each pill has a 24 hour dose of the hormones you need to prevent pregnancy. If you take it again on that 26 hour, you, you, now you have a two hour window where you could have gotten pregnant, right? Um, but I also think that for some people, these side effects to the birth control, especially hormonal birth control, can be really, can really affect people really harmfully. And I think as women, because we're the ones who take this hormonal birth control, a lot of times we just sort of suck it up and deal with it. But the idea that like, you know, you can get blood clots from birth control. I've seen, you know, patients who've had, you know, DVT, like, you know, blood clots in their lungs, like because of their birth control um, or things like, you know, even stuff like the headaches you get, the weight gain you get, some people don't even want to deal with that. And so I think there, is, there are some people who just 
don't want to take hormonal birth control. And the same thing with, you know, condom use. I think a lot of people who are, especially people who are married and or in like long-term relationships, they're not using condoms on the regular. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I do think is that like, if we ever get male birth control, God willing, you need. which we need, I think that would change the game a lot for people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think too, is just like having more birth control options and also just being able to like teach people about their fertility and their menstrual cycles will help a lot right a lot of people think that you can get pregnant anytime you know just just whatever you can't right it's when you ovulate it's when you release an egg so I think just having in-depth um sex ed like that like teaching people about their own cycles and how to track their bodies that can also you know really change the game for people And I feel like, unfortunately, because of the world that we live in, especially with social media, I think that we have, we might have to start teaching them at a younger age. Yes, yes. And I think, yes, I think teaching people at a younger age, but I also believe in like, you know, having sex ed that is age appropriate, right? Like, so if you're in the fifth grade, you might not need to know everything as someone who's in high school, but there are things that you can start teaching younger kids, especially around things like consent um, and things about like, you know, even simple things, like even with like kindergartners, to teach kindergartners with con- about consent, you can let them know, like, right, if someone wants to hug you and you don't want to hug them, you don't have to hug them, right? Like this is letting people know that they are in control of their bodies and just slowly introducing, you know, health facts and health things about their own bodies to help, you know, spread that knowledge. I think when people think about sex ed, they automatically sort of think about like teaching kids how to use condoms. And I think that's great. And I think right. we do need to teach you know, people how to use condoms, but I do think that, like, we're not going to teach a fourth grader that information, right, whereas there are better age-appropriate things we can teach that fourth grader, and so by the time that fourth grader is in, you know, eighth grade, tenth grade, learning about condoms and getting that, like, full, (laughs) more knowledge, they're able to build on top of the things that they already know, so it's not a shock. Start with a foundation and start building on top of it. I totally agree with that. Because ain't nobody going to teach my baby before I teach him. (laughs) (laughs) But I also remember, you know, being in college and getting like, I don't know if this happened at at your college, but I remember um, during like the first week, like that orientation, we had this like consent workshop and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I remember sitting there and being like, oh, I'm so glad I like, I knew this stuff in high school, right? But then there are people in that college who this is the first time they're ever hearing about like consent or about like no means no things like that. And so we do need to start teaching this stuff younger so that by the time people are 18, they already got it. Like they already know and they understand this. Yeah, oh, I agree. And I also feel like um, you made a good point about revamping uh, sex ed, because I feel like when I was in sex ed, first of all, I don't even remember sex ed. I don't even think we had sex ed, but I think they showed us a movie about kids. You ever heard the movie Kids? Yes, yes. Yeah. That's like, okay. and like, isn't there the kid where they get like HIV and like? Yes, that, that yeah. is not the right movie to show kids. That's not it. <laughs> because I feel girl, like you're right. <laughs> the girl got raped. Like, right. like yeah. it, was, it was so many factors in that one movie that was just like, what the fuck y'all got us watching in class? And I think I was in like seven or eighth grade. 
I feel like so much health education, like not just sex ed, but even like education about like drugs and alcohol are so fear-based. Right. right. Like right. I can barely remember the sex I did I have, but I remember all the like anti-drug stuff I had. And it's always so extreme, so fear-based. And it's like, no, 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 you don't need to scare people out of these things, right? Like right. just give them the facts. Like teach people about their bodies, about others, about right. you know, the effects of drugs, right? Like I don't think we should be like sugarcoating things and be like drink all the alcohol you want. Right. But I do think you need to like be honest about those things like, like how are you if you don't if you go about exactly. it this way or that way because how are you going to have such like extreme you know like you know alcohol education whatever and then the kid goes home and it's like oh but my mom drinks a glass of wine every day and but you're telling me that if I drink a glass of wine I'm gonna die <laughs> right like to make it make sense right and that's when black mamas be like do as I say and not as I do <laughs> Yeah, I'm watching me drink my glass of wine. <laughs> oh, this is gonna be such a good conversation because I haven't even started with the questions yet. <laughs> I know. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. So, how long were you working at the clinic? I was there for about three and a half years. Um, so I started in twenty, or actually three years. I started in twenty sixteen. I stopped working in twenty nineteen. I'm just curious. How did you like? What made you go into this industry? Or what you was already volunteering, right? So, yeah. So actually, this is sort of a, so the clinic I worked at, so I worked at an independent clinic. So there's, when someone thinks about abortion clinics, there's basically like two different things they think of. So there's either like Planned Parenthood, which is like a chain. It's a nationally, you know, organized, you know, group of people. And then they're like independent clinics where it's usually one doctor, it's the private doctor's office, right? And so that's right. where I worked um, for just one doctor. But the place I worked at, not only did they offer abortion services, they also offered, you know, regular GYN care, and they also opened a natural birthing center. So when I, what I was first interested in was I really wanted to become a doula. I really wanted to become a birth doula. And I thought that working there would give me just sort of like the connections I needed to like get my doula training and also just sort of like be in a place where like such different reproductive options were taking place. I saw online one day that they were hiring. I wrote this like really long cover letter about like why I wanted to be a doula, why I was interested in working there, like all this stuff. Um, so I came in for an interview. Um, I think I had a phone interview and then I had an in-person interview and then I was hired. Um, and so that's my, how I ended up in that industry. Um, but very quickly sort of shifted the work that I was doing from sort of more of the birth, um, and doula work into sort of abortion care. Um, just sort of because of like, one was like the, because of the needs of the business, it was the sort of more like, we need you to do this stuff and like answer the phones and do this. Um, but then the longer I worked there, I did sort of pivot into abortion counseling and option counseling, just because that's sort of what I found more interesting to do. So for New York State, abortion is legal to 24 weeks of gestation. So how long did a patient have to receive an abortion at the clinic you worked at? So it's the place I worked at, um, this, is, this is where you, because it's a private doctor's office, 
um, a lot of choices are just left up to the doctor. So I would say that we would schedule people up to 18 weeks. Mm-hmm. If someone was past 18 weeks, um, we would send them in for a consultation and the doctor would take those cases on a case-by-case basis to the longest sort of into the pregnancy I think I've seen was about 20, 21 weeks that the doctor did. Um, but oftentimes people who were past 18 weeks or past 19 weeks, we would refer them to other clinics in New York state um, just because our doctor just like, you know, case by case basis, but oftentimes she didn't feel comfortable doing procedures past that point. Um, just because with the options that we had um, at the clinic, oftentimes those later pregnancy abortions, like you want, you want more anesthesia. You just want like a different type of environment to have that procedure in and we didn't really offer that. Now, a listener wants to know what happens to the fetus after a procedure. Oh, okay. Um, that's an interesting question. That is yeah. My girl. <laughs> so what happens after the procedure um, is, I'm like, okay, it's time to get graphic. Well, not to get so, too graphic, but you not know. Not to get I'm, too graphic, but. But I am I actually I'll, speaking about this because I feel like a lot of people never experienced this. And I do feel like if you're not a researcher or if you just don't know anybody who experienced this and you believe everything you see or read, yeah, I think that's where you bring the clarity in to play. So what, so I guess what happens to, I would say 99% of the fetuses after the procedure, after the procedure, um, the fetus and also like the uterine contents sort of get, a nurse will take it to the back where they basically look to find a gestational sac and that is sort of like the sac and that just makes sure that uh, the doctor performing the abortion did perform the abortion right so when you see would take that look under it under a microscope see that sac see like okay we got the pregnancy um and then those fetuses the, the gestational sac um the uterine content would get placed um I don't really remember what it's called, but basically all the stuff gets, <laughs> all of the stuff, I'm sorry, all of the fetuses get placed in this jar. Um, we have a medical waste company that comes and picks up everything once a week. And so they come and they put it up in a box and then that gets incinerated. So they all get cremated, they get burned, they get disposed of. Um, and the reason I said 99% is because sometimes we would have cases where fetal remains were then saved to go to law enforcement. Mm -hmm. Um, And those are in cases where if the pregnancy was the result of rape and the patient was, you know, pursuing a case against the rapist, those fetal remains, those are evidence. Those are DNA evidence that we would um, same thing happens where the nurse takes it, checks, make sure the gestational sac is gone, but then those get placed up, they get boxed up in a separate thing, and they get placed in a special, you know, medical fridge with a lock on it so that we preserve the chain of custody, and then we wait for the police officers to come and take the evidence away, um, and then I would also say a very smaller percent, maybe like 0.5%, um, sometimes patients who wanted to either have a burial or a cremation or do something like that, we would then sometimes, um, again, sort of preserve the fetal remains and have um, a funeral home come and pick up the remains. So either way, yeah, so that did happen a couple of times. Um, Either way, it's like 
um, technically medical waste. So we can't, you know, give the fetal remains back to like the patient or the family, like, especially in New York state, it has to be someone who's like clear to handle those contents. So the three places they would go is like, <laughs> yeah, the three places they would go would be like a medical waste company and then they get incinerated. Um, either the police um, or law enforcement for evidence um, or sometimes a funeral home for, you know, some patients wanted to do a cremation or just like have some type of service for themselves. How many abortions would you say were rape abuse cases? That's a tricky question because it's like on one hand, it's like how many of them are rape abuse cases where they are pursuing, right? Like who, who they, they let us know. Um, when they call ahead, right? Because there's some cases, like I said, like where we do give the evidence to the police officers. And then there's oftentimes that people in those counseling rooms then just like let us know that like this is the result of rape or this is the result of abuse. Um, and then there's some cases too, because we are mandated reporters that if we're dealing with someone who's under the age of 18, we do have to ask these questions to find out, you know, is this a case of abuse or neglect or was something, you know, not, not right about the situation? Um, I don't think it's as many, let me rephrase that. I think that, I think there's a lot of coercion um, attempts. And I think that there's a lot more of non-consensual sex happening than even the patients themselves would notice, right? And I and it's hard to be the counselor in those rooms, right? Listening to someone about how they got pregnant. And while they're telling it just like as a story about how they got pregnant and they're maybe noticing like saying things about how drunk they were and how they didn't realize they were having sex. So they might they might not know who the father of this baby is because they don't remember having sex, right? And so for me as the counselor, that's red flag. That's like that's right. like ding 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 ding. That's an assault, right? But for the patients, they might not even think that. They might just be like, oh, I was just partying or whatever. Can you say so, something? yeah. So sometimes, depending on the situation, I would just let them know that like what you're describing, like sounds like sexual assault like would you like us to contact this would you like us to give you um you know crisis services information sometimes people would take it sometimes people wouldn't um and then I think there's too a lot of a lot of shame around sexual assault too and so I think there's many cases of sexual assault or, or abuse that we never knew about because the patient would just not tell us um, and I think too, sometimes of those, you know, we talked about this earlier, but those sort of repeat cases, I think sometimes a lot of that is abuse cases. Um, and I do remember, you know, before I was a counselor, just sort of answering the phone and scheduling appointments, there were times where I would, you know, call or pick up the phone to talk to someone and then wanting an appointment right away and us asking why and them being like, oh, because my husband's out of town that day and I can get one and I'll be fine, right? There's a lot of, you know, interpersonal abuse that is just not spoken of until you get in these situations and then sort of like being the person on the other end of the phone. I've heard a lot of stories. Um, I've had, 
you know, patients calling us from, you know, closets, like not wanting to let anyone else in the house know that they were pregnant. I can tell um, you're being like, afraid. not to cut you off, but I can tell you're like reminiscing about this. I am, right? Like, cause it's like I on one hand, voice. yeah, cause I think too, sometimes I, I myself am just sort of a very emotional, empathetic person, right? I feel a lot of things. Um, but at the same time, it does really make me feel angry because especially around abortion stigma and then the stigma we have around sexual assault is that the women who are the victims in these situations get all of the stigma and the blame put upon them. And these men that do these acts on them get, a, get to walk away scot-free, right? Um, or even if not scot-free, right? Like even if something is happening, like they don't have to deal with the stigma of men, you know, have, being pregnant and like having to end a pregnancy. Um, so I think like speaking about abuse and things like that, like that stuff happened. And, you know, I think, you know, even too, like having to see or deal with, you know, young kids who were pregnant um, and having to sort of figure out like, are you pregnant because you're young and you're like hooking up with somebody else who's young and you're just like messing around or did someone do this to you, right? Was there an adult involved? And I think even in those cases, it's really tricky and like learning how to speak to the patient in a way to get that information without making it feel that they're in trouble was such a special skill that had to be learned, right? So the moment you sort of talk, especially like you know, talking to like a 14 year old, a 13 year old, the moment that they think they're in trouble or something, they're going to shut up. They're going to tell you anything. They're going to shut up. <laughs> like, exactly. But it's just like making sure that they feel and know that like they're in a safe space, they can talk about this, and that like this isn't on you and we're not making you, you know, you're not in trouble. Just like let us know what happened. That's, you know, how you can get that information. This concludes part one of this week's episode. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please make sure to email me at hello at the phdpodcast.com. Until next time, everyone, later. You don't put those inside of you, do you? This is a show about women. I mean, you do? Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly veiled aspirational nightmare. It's not hosted, not narrated, We're just dropping into a woman's world. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. Looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. (laughs) Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm John O'Brien, host of Money and Wealth, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. I'm an entrepreneur and a businessman. Now, every Thursday, my newest venture is educating you on how to win financially. Even better, I'm going to teach it in a way that, well, you can understand. I'm going to meet you where you are and take you where you need to be. We all might have different starting points and end goals, but as long as we have the desire to acquire financial freedom, it can be done. Listen to Money and Wealth with John Hope Bryant every Thursday on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, what's up? This your boy, Jerry Clark, and I am the host of Storytime with Legendary Jerry Podcast. For the last 30 years, I have worked with some of your favorite artists like Outkast, Killer Mike, Jeezy, Akon, Jermaine Dupri, and so many, many more. Storytime with Legendary Jerry is an ode to the South. Southern rap has had the game on lock for years. 
And now I'm telling you legendary stories of how we did it. Listen to Storytime with Legendary Jerry on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.